thanks for tuning in to this Journey Bible Church sermon podcast. Join us every week for fresh sermons from God's Word by subscribing to this podcast wherever you like to listen most. If you are looking for a church in the Kansas City metro, come check out one of our church's campuses for worship on Sundays. Now, we hope you enjoy the message. I think it was a couple months ago, actually, when Colton asked me if I would be available on this day, not knowing that he would need to be home with Kristen. So I'm glad the Lord moved out ahead of us and made this possible. I'm excited about um, sharing this passage of Scripture. These are we're into some really important stuff here in uh, the latter half of Ephesians. All of it's it's the Bible. All of it's important. I know, but. Uh, this starts to go after the question or the answer to the, the calling that uh, Paul gave us, the Lord gave us through Paul back in uh, uh, that Colton covered last week, verses 14, 15, 16, about that we are to grow up into the likeness of Christ. We are to grow up into Christ. And then, you know, kind of the question is, well, how do we do that? I mean, what does that look like? And and so now he starts and will, throughout the rest of the book, answer that question. This is how you mature. This is how you become like Christ. This is how you grow up into his character, to become like him and the way in which we are, uh, to develop his power, his insight, his might, his wisdom, his love, his joy, to become like him. And in the big picture of life, that's pretty important. You know, a lot of people don't think anybody, people change. And you and I as Christians have to stand up against that and say, no, we, we have been given everything we need to change and to become uh, like the one who created us. And so uh, that's what we're going to be uh, working on this morning, going to have some fun with it, I hope. Um, I thought it might make simpler some very, what can be complicated to use a Bible study method that is being used uh, around the world, down in the huts, hut churches of Ethiopia and in the underground church over in Iran. They are taught a very simple uh, discover Bible study method. And uh, I, I, I think it should be known by all of us how we could just enter into any passage of Scripture and ask three simple questions. Uh, what is it saying? What does it say? Second question would be, what does it mean? Sometimes you have to look into the words a little deeper into our cultural context to figure out, okay, what do we, how are we to understand that in our culture today? And then third, uh, what are we going to do about it? Or how do we apply? Or how do we, how am I going to put this into action? It's about obedience. And our discipleship, it's, a, it's an obedience-based discipleship. I know Colton well enough to know that does not want this church to be about head knowledge, you know, just knowing things. It's got, okay, now that's what the Bible says. Now what are we going to do about it? And we got to get to that point. So I just want to walk through those three questions with you. I hope it makes sense. So 
what does the Bible say? There are a few concepts in the passage that Ray just read that I think we need to, you know, dig, drive down into them a little bit, uh, drill down to find, uh, you know, more of what that means. So let's just start. Like, it begins with um, verse 17, Therefore I say and testify in the Lord... Uh, you know, and I wrestled quite a little while with, well, why does he say, say and testify? Is that a thing? And, and it kind of is. It's like a, a, a legal concept. When you go to a, a court, you would testify. By definition, it means one who has information or knowledge of something. And therefore, one who can give information and bring to light and confirm something. So Paul is saying, man, I'm, I'm not just saying this. I am in the Lord giving you my testimony that this is what needs to happen now in our lives. And uh, he says, we are no longer to walk as the Gentiles do. Well, um, know. who are the Gentiles? And it's the, a word that means um, nations. It's the word ethnos. It means ethnic groups. And everything that is non-Jewish in Paul's world, he is saying that's who we're talking about. All the nations. Everybody is living like this. I, I think you're going to have to wrestle with that a little bit because he's, he is going to say they are living in the futility of their minds. And that word futility means a vanity and emptiness and fruitlessness and aimlessness and worthlessness. And to say that all the nations, all of them, ex outside the God's people are living with that kind of futility of mind. That's kind of a big statement. But that's where he's going with, with that. And Maybe you don't see it. Maybe you don't agree with that. We'll talk further about that. But the futility of mind, now he starts to uh, unpack that for us. These phrases, they are darkened in their understanding. I think from this and other places here, we, we get to know that... Uh, Boy, we live from our minds, our hearts and our minds, the things that we understand, that we live out of that. And he's saying it's darkened. It's not clear. They are not seeing carefully. They are alienated from the life of God. Uh, there's a, a life that emanates from God, and they are being alienated from God's life be, because of their ignorance. And you could conclude from that, okay, they don't have education, but that's not what Paul is saying. He goes on to say, and their hardness of heart, they are um, ignorance that is in them uh, due to their hardness of heart. So where does this progression start? It's not with a lack of education, it's with a hardness of heart. That's ah, important. Uh, so the scripture here is saying that there is a, you know, a stubbornness, a willfulness that says, I'm going to live the way I'm going to live, and out of that comes an ignorance, comes a being cut off from the life of God, comes a, a darkened understanding, and, uh, and he goes on to say in the next verse, and they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, and greed to, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. You know, if you have calluses, there's a dullness there. You know, you're, I, you know, if you have calluses on your hand, 
it's not as sensitive and it's not as the rest of your hand because it's covered over with, I don't know what that is, skin tissue, I guess. So calluses uh, cause you to be insensitive. You start hurting people around you. Um, and there's this void in your life because of the attitude of, uh, of, of your hardness of heart. You lose your sensitivity and you try to fill that void with all kinds of sensuality and greed to practice every kind of impurity. And that's where addictions form and misguided lives and just the brokenness that and you see it all the time. I see it all the time. It's in the news every night. It's everywhere in our world. It's, it is uh, all over us. And so, boy, it's a dark picture. You know, I uh, hope you enjoyed that little uh, foray into our situation in our world. But then there is this great adversity. This is, there is this, uh, but. That is not the way you learned Christ. Uh, and that phrase, learned Christ, we, is just so good that I'm saving it for the, you know, for the end here. But no, we're coming back to that. You, this is not how you learned Christ. It is unique. Uh, John Piper says that uh, Greek scholars recognize that no other place in ancient Greek was that verb used in this way. You know, you would think it would say, that is not the way you learned about Christ. That's not what it says. So when we're answering the question, what does this say? It says, you learned Christ. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, this, that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him, we're taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And then he gets to what will be the heart of what we're trying to get at today. Put off your old self. And, uh, you know, in, in studying this a bit, I learned that it's in a, a middle voice, which means nothing to us English speakers, but in the original language, that denoted that the subject is acting upon himself or in some way that concerns himself. So, you know, if you are of the opinion that it is, it is God's sole responsibility to make us holy and to make us righteous, uh, he is involved in that. But right here in this verse, it is saying it is our responsibility to put off the old self. We, we do this upon ourselves. And uh, God expects us to be involved in this process. So we're, coming, we're going to come back to this, and I'm going to come back to it with everything I got to help you recognize that, boy, this is my responsibility as a Christian to put off the old self, which, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self. You put one off to put one on. You cannot put one on without putting this one off. And that is the challenge of our lives, quite frankly, in terms of our spiritual growth, is to how do I get rid of the old man and put on the new man uh, made in the image of Jesus Christ? Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So, you see where we're going. That's, where the, that's what the Bible says. Now, let's take a little bit and talk about what does it mean. How do we understand it in our context? What is this, and we'll go back, what does the futility of mind look like in our day? And I thought, since it's Super Bowl Sunday, you know, we could just examine 
the uh, uh, ultimate sporting event in our culture, right? The Super Bowl. Not so super this year for obvious reasons, but uh, we don't have a dog in the hunt, do we? And so it feels a little different, but um, let's, maybe it'll become easier to kind of objectively analyze the Super Bowl for, you know, is this coming from an old man framework or is it, no, this is about the new man. And, and uh, so let's, let's just take a look at some of that. I, before I, you know, kind of rip into the Super Bowl, uh, let me just tell you, I love sports, and I will watch every play, uh, most likely, if I don't fall asleep. Uh, and uh, when I was in uh, our first church back in Indiana, I teamed up with one of the coaches at our, our little public high school where I went to school and played every sport because if you could walk and chew gum, you were expected to be on the teams, all of them, and uh, for the good of the school, right? And so I did. And, uh, but now, as a pastor in that town, I went up and approached one of the coaches, a gal who uh, was a believer, and I said, hey, I have been uh, spending some time in this book by Wes Neal called Principles of Athletic Perfection, and I'm wondering if you would be interested in me coming in and, and sharing some of those principles with your athletes, especially the believers who might be interested, because... You know, over the time, I, I heard a lot of stories about some really good athletes had to, at some point along the way, say, basketball became my God. You know, I just, I just lost my way because I, it meant everything to me, and it became an idol. And I said, to avoid that, how do we, how are we to help our athletes to become all that they can be? And uh, it was a great experience. And so we went through some principles of how to work out, live out your devotion to Jesus Christ on the athletic field. And so if you've got young athletes in your home, encourage sports. But Wes Neal's book is still out there, I found on, on Amazon. So find ways to encourage them to live it out as a devotion to Jesus Christ. And then you've got something very strong. And coaches have such an influence. So anyway, just... I am not anti-sports in what I'm going to maybe look at with regard to the Super Bowl. So let's just, I don't know, play a game. Let's just say that um, this morning you woke up and, man, there was a visitor from Mars at your house on Super Bowl Sunday, and he's kind of interested in this culture. And so he starts, you know, ask any questions you've got about the Super Bowl. And uh, so, you know, he's, he starts to look at things and... So, you know, who, who are these players and how did they get there? And I don't know, are, are they playing just for the good of the sport and for the athletic competition? Or is there something else? And I think, if, you know, we would have to say, oh, okay, there's a ton of money involved in those athletes being where they are. And frankly, you know, some of them play for the money. I, I don't know. That may be a shocker to some, but some people make a half a billion dollars playing that sport, you know, and, and uh, you know, it can destroy some of that pure athletic, some of them are to be uh, honored and uh, respected because they have gotten there and their stories are great. You know, it's through discipline and, and uh, they've overcome great adversity to accomplish what they have, what they are accomplishing, but others 
you would look at and say, man, they are, they are just greedy, you know, and it's money that they're after. And, and um, so the game gets uh, distorted because of the money involved, and uh, especially at that professional level. And they may, someone wouldn't even do their, their skill were it not for the money. And so you start to go, ouch, that's, that feels more like the old man than the new man, doesn't it? Greedy and for all kinds of things. Well, okay, so then he would, this, the visitor from Mars would see the cheerleaders. And he'd say, well, oh, they're very interesting. Is it, what are they doing? And you would begin to explain, they are there to... Uh, help the fans cheer the good plays and to help the fans control themselves when there's a bad call or, you know, uh, uh, cut down on the booing, maybe. And, uh, and then the man from Mars would say, is that why they dress the way they do? And then you're starting to get into trouble. You think, oh, let's see, uh, maybe not. You know, maybe... That's more of an old man sensuality thing than it is new man. Oh, and our culture is starting to look like it's broken a little bit. And, and our ultimate sporting event is starting to look like, boy, it's a whole lot of old man stuff, isn't it? And where are we as Christians going to find ourselves in this? And I'm making, I'll move on. What about the commercials? Because that, that's a big part of the day, right, is those commercials. And well, I don't know what they'll look like. It's uh, six and a half million dollars for a 30-second spot. So, well, again, lots of money and effort goes into a commercial. And, uh, but the commercials are known for telling truth, right? Okay, so the man from Mars, not really truth per se. You know, they're selling stuff. And, you know, there's not a lot of truth in what they're saying. And, you know, start, oh, no, it's more old man stuff. It's... It's broken stuff. It's alienated from the life of God. It's darkened. And some of those commercials are really dark. And uh, the halftime experience, it'll probably be enlightening. And, oh, maybe not. You know, and so you just all kinds of apologies for the man, to the man from Mars because the Super Bowl has to be filtered by us as believers or we can't even watch it, right? So you've either got to stop some of that stuff at the eye gate not watch it, or at the uh, mind gate and say, son, daughter, we do not believe that. <laughs> um, that is not what we hold to. Or the, the gate of your heart to say, I'm not going to entertain myself with those kinds of old man broken things because I have a responsibility to my Lord and Savior to put off the old man and put on the new. So sorry to do that to your Super Bowl. But I think you are wrestling with it anyway as to how are we to experience this thing. Um, but that is not how you learned Christ. Let's talk about that phrase now. Um, only place in ancient Greek where the word was used in this way. You know, um, uh, you know, I have to admit some things from time to time. As a kid, I grew up in the church, and oh, for the longest time, I thought Christ was Jesus' last name, right? Everybody's got a last name, except for Ethiopians, they don't, but everybody else, you got a first name and a last name, and Christ was Jesus' last name, and I, I, I believe that for, maybe I'm, I'm taking that away from somebody here. It's not his last name. 
Jesus, he had one name, Jesus. And Christ was a title. Uh, the, word, the Greek word Christos was a translation of the Hebrew word uh, Mashiach, and it meant anointed. And so it was uh, Jesus, the anointed one, anointed by God to come and to heal and to do miracles, and he came as the Messiah into our world. So we did not learn Christ in that way of the, the broken, dark, cut off from the life of God. How do you learn a person? Well, the uh, story is told of a biology professor, and if he was kind of like the biology professors I've had, it's probably a true story. I don't know. But he was, uh, one of the students one day said, hey, tell us about your wife. And the professor said, well, my wife is about 60% water, four different kinds of tissue in her body, uh, and some chemicals. She's 65% oxygen and 18% carbon and 10% hydrogen. And there are some functioning organs like her heart and gallbladder. And, and amazingly, she has about 30 trillion cells. That's my wife. And he is, you know, that's accurate. That's fine. But he'd better not introduce her in front of her in that way or she's going to let him know some things about, hey, that is, that is not who I am. And if you think that's who I am, you don't know me, right? You know a person by being in relationship with them. That's where you get to know someone. Um, and that's how you come to know Christ. You walk in relationship with him. So you no longer walk as the nations, but you have come to know Christ. You've learned him by being in relationship with him. One of the old um, Scottish preachers, I think it was Thomas Chalmers, said, talked of the expulsive power of a new affection. You enter into a, an affection with Jesus Christ in relationship and you not just learn about him, not just learn his teachings, but there is relationship. And you come to know who he is. And that's how you enter into the, becoming the new, the new man. So what are we going to do about it? I think uh, we saw what it said. We see what it, uh, it means by what was said and you know in our culture we've got some work to do because our culture is, is pretty dark quite frankly and getting darker and so we've got to know learn Christ in a different way by walking in relationship with him what are you going to do with this truth probably the most important question and we are given these these verbs you, you put off and you put on and you should be asking, okay, can you be more specific about what are we putting off and what are we putting on? And, 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 and yes, we can. Uh, flip over a couple pages to Colossians chapter 3. Because here, uh, Paul, it's a parallel passage. He's using the same metaphor of uh, putting off and putting on, but he gives a little bit more information. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5, he says, Put to death. Therefore, not, uh, it's stronger. We're going to kill it. 
what is earthly in you. And these are characteristics of old man. Sexual immorality. Kill it. Impurity. Passion. Evil desire. Covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you once, too, walked. Like the Gentiles walked, you remember? When you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. And then he adds anger and attitudinal things. Wrath, malice, and slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. Here it is again. That old man, put it off with its practices. And this word is a different word than the one back in Ephesians. This one is about what my, my mother taught me when I was a kid. Uh, back on the farm, we used to have some sheep and we had some pigs. And, you know, I, I enjoyed going out and I would do the chores. And then I'd come back and I would uh, walk into the house with those shoes on. And you know how my mom felt about that. Um, she would, I mean, she, I don't know, uncanny. She could hear my feet touching the floor. As, you know, I would do it gently so as not to leave any tracks. And, and she didn't say, hey, Rex, sweetie, uh, dear child, uh, don't wear those shoes in the house. Uh, she would call me Rex Allen. Don't bring that pig manure in this house. Get those shoes off. Strip them off. Never wear them in this house ever again. You know, that was the way my mom, um, <clears throat> she was kind about it. But I, and I, you know, and Sue will tell you, I still have that problem sometimes where I, I walk inside with shoes that aren't meant to be inside. Um, this is strip off that clothing. That's what this word means. If you were a military person and you were getting a dishonorable discharge, I would assume they did not just carefully take those stripes off. They ripped them, stripped them off. And so in these you once walked when you were living, but now here's that adversative again. On the other side, you must put them all away, strip them off. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Here's what you're putting on. You ready? Being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Jew or Greek. Uh, put on then as God's chosen ones, verse 12, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Put that on. Kindness. Wear that. Humility. Meekness and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. So there's your put off and there's your put on. Um, how do we get about it? Well, uh, I have used this with a lot of people in counseling where they'll come in and, and life's not working and things that used to work are no longer, they had coping skills that they developed as a child that aren't working. And so I would use an illustration with them, and I would, I would get out one of these. If you're, like, um, under 30, you probably don't know what this is. Uh, 
you know, if you're over 30, oh, I remember a, a cassette tape, right? Under thir- How many of you under 30s know? Yeah, you wouldn't admit it. So it's a cassette tape, an amazing thing. You could uh, take this cassette tape and slip it down into a cassette player or sometimes a cassette recorder. And uh, on this side, there's a little arrow here, and inside there's a tape, and it would go this way. And you could record a voice, you could record music. Genius, amazing thing. Here's the part I want you to understand. And then you would get to the end of it, and there would be tapes, uh, little arrows here, and they'd be going the other way. So you could take that tape out, you could flip it over and put it back in and run it the other way, right? It wasn't an amazing piece of technology way back in the day. Um, I want you to think about a cassette tape like this, and um, I've got an activity for you. When you came in, there should have been a three-by-five card. You wondered, what is that about? Well, this is what it's about. Um, you have developed from childhood, probably, what we call guiding fictions. Things that aren't true, but you believe it anyway. And these things get deeply ingrained inside us. Hard to get out. It's old man stuff. It's a lie. It cuts you off, alienates you from the life of God. It hardens your heart. It causes calluses. It, it makes you insensitive to the people around you. You do damage to them because whether you believe it or not, you are committed to that lie. And it traps you. And you follow it at great expense in your relationships. That's the old man. It's built on lies, darkness, and you're under, you don't understand because you believe those things. And the only way to get rid of that dark lie is to get, hit it with the truth that we sang about, that Jacob had to sing about, the truth will set you free. So on one side of this cassette tape on this, is the, the, the old man lie guiding fiction. On the other side is the truth that sets you free. I want you to create that. Uh, let me give you some examples, that, and yours will look different. But probably when I was in my 20s, the guiding fiction for me, I don't remember exactly, but it may have been something about sexuality. I'd be too embarrassed to tell you what it might have been. In the 30s, you know, sometimes it's about identity. Who am I? And uh, how has God created me? And, and you believe things like, if I could only be like Patrick Mahomes, I'd be happy. Oh, that's, that's a lie, isn't it? But analyze, where are you in your thinking? And on the backside of that would be, God has created me the way I am for his purposes, and I will find greatest fulfillment. You know what that... That's the truth. And back it up with a scripture verse. Maybe in my 40s, I believed something like uh, about career. You know, if I could just have a position or a title, people would recognize me and then I'd be somebody. A lot of us believe stuff like that. 
it's embarrassing, isn't it, to put it on paper to say that stupid. It's 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 pretty blind, but those are the kinds of things that guide us to do really stupid, insensitive things to people. And, and maybe it's you know if I could just find more pleasure in my life. And you get into alcohol and drugs and addictions and. And you'll see a good share of that on TV this afternoon. It'll be there. Or maybe in your 40s, where are we at? 40s, 30s, 40s, 50s, somewhere. If only my spouse were, kind, were nicer to me. Or if my husband could just keep a job, I would be happy. There's probably a guiding fiction. If you're not happy... You can't blame it on your spouse. You see what I'm getting at? These things can be tricky. Uh, you might know right now, this is the thing that I have believed that uh, all my life or for years now that it's not true and I just have to combat it against the truth. And uh, the truth as it's found in Jesus Christ. And walking with Jesus gets you into that truth and helps you to put on compassion and kindness and instead of the insensitivity and dullness that you tend to bring toward your spouse. So, um, I didn't leave us any time to actually do this in here. Why don't you, if you want to take the next few minutes and work on it, do. If not, take it with you to your small group and, and even if you need some time this week, but but don't throw it away. I mean, if you've got a better idea, fine. Go with your better idea. But if not, I think this is one of the best ways to put off and put on by being very intentional about it, saying this is, this is what I've been doing, and I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to believe truth and practice truth. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for allowing us the privilege of learning Christ um, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by your person, the person of the Holy Spirit, indwelling us, living within us, teaching us compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and teaching us to put off destructive things. God, I think we sense the importance of uh, putting off and putting on. So guide us to uh, follow you fully into uh, new days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. This podcast was produced by Journey Bible Church in Olathe, Kansas. If you're interested in learning more about our church, visit journeybible.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We'd appreciate a positive rating and would encourage you to share this program with a friend. Thank you for listening.